Hey everyone, welcome to The Starting Designer, a podcast focused on providing tips, tricks, and advice on getting through your first year of owning your own design business. Before we get started with our design industry guest, I wanted to give a special thanks to our sponsors, Revolution Performance Fabrics. Now, listen, relax, get some daily motivation, and enjoy. With Father's Day being yesterday, I thought I should take the time to interview my biggest mentor in life and business. Sean Gibbons is the CEO of STI Fabrics. He is also the founder and CEO of companies like Mobitex, Phoenix Trimworks, Source Asia, Gaston Fabrics, and a few more businesses. My dad has taught me everything I know about fabrics and is a real mentor in my life. In his free time, he owns and operates an FFC-certified sustainable tree farm. Thank you for listening. All right, so uh, I'm here with Sean Gibbons. He's the CEO of STI, and he's also my dad. And uh, with Father's Day, I just wanted to get a little insight on on, on why he started his business and everything. So, um, yeah, Dad, could you kind of tell me uh, or say hi to everyone? And Hello, everyone. Yeah, um, Yeah. so I guess this is going to be really interesting for me because I am not even know if we've really 100% ever talked about this stuff. But, you know, how did you get your start in textiles? Um, I got my start in textiles. My father, uh, Bill Gibbons, was a manufacturer's rep. He represented uh, several different mills. He was what they called a multi-line rep. And um, he called on furniture manufacturers, um, primarily in North Carolina, but all around the southeast. And I remember gosh even back probably in elementary school he would bring home samples of the new line and we'd ask us what we thought about them and high school I I went to the high point furniture markets with him and walked around and was totally like numb because there were just there's just so much furniture and so many furniture companies and I really didn't know what I was uh, looking at other than a a sea of furniture but I continued through college and started learning more and after college I was actually going to go to law school and started working with with my dad and uh, because he represented typically smaller mills um, we needed to get involved in the design process to, to sort of direct the companies and what type of fabrics to make you know from contemporary southwest traditional what type of colorations and constructions um and i got into that too and i found it really interesting and i like the creative process of uh of making textiles not that i'm a technical designer but I, i worked with technical designers to sort of bring out my vision of what i the type of fabric i wanted to make and then you know, just had an opportunity with with STI that's too long to go into here, but basically started the upholstery line in 1993. I would just run around the many of the Hickory, North Carolina, and High Point areas where the North Carolina manufacturers are centered, and I would have, you know, three-yard cuts of different fabrics, and if you liked it, I'd cut a piece off and make a label and leave it with you, and and that was, uh, you know, we were a small company, but a lot of people like that and you know getting in on the ground floor and the designs were were different than what you know than the things the fabrics the big mills were uh, were making so uh yeah and then back in those days we were 100 percent cotton real heavy textured fabrics and they were they were they were really nice so that's how i got into the furniture business so with that i mean can you just give me a little bit more like talk me through the beginning uh 
kind of beginning days of STI and, and making upholstery fabrics. You, you touched on that a little bit, but um, it, it couldn't have been easy. I know at one point in time, uh, a big furniture retailer told you, you know, we were the only ones stupid enough to, to start a textile mill in the United States. You know, talk, talk me through um, the beginning. Yeah, uh, it's, again, it's a long, long story, but STI is a, is a family company. Um, I married my wife in 1991. Um, the, the, her family owned, the comp- owned at what's now STI, and the, the mill was making uh, specialty transportation uh, products for like uh, Amtrak and Delta Airlines and, you know, uh, that kind of stuff. Uh, they weren't, they had gotten out of the upholstery business. And uh, so I came over here in 1993 and saw that there was a, a great resource here and that the company should get back into residential upholstery. So I, that's what I did. I started the residential upholstery line. And that's what I was talking about running around, you know, North Carolina with just big cuts of fabric and, and leaving cuts with uh, different different customers but from there it grew uh, very quickly um, we got a sample room and did professional samples and added more yarns and added more weaving equipment and the company grew really rapidly from uh, 1993 to 1999 we, like I said we made 100% cotton fabrics which I love cotton but it's not the greatest uh, fabric for for residential upholstery, really. And we sort of hit the wall on growth in 1999, and I decided that I wanted the company to continue growing, and the way to do that was to really sell the mass merchant uh, furniture retailers, you know, the Rooms to Go, the the other big regional chains, Haverty's, um, you know, companies like that. and. I looked at what those companies bought, and they were primarily synthetic-based fabrics, polyester, polypropylene, acrylic, at at much lower price points than the cottons uh, we were we were making, and, and with different styling. Um, so in 1999, we sort of reinvented the whole company. We really got out of the cottons almost uh, completely, went 100% synthetics with uh, polyester warps, uh, olefin fillings, acrylic fillings. Uh, was able, we were able to drop our price points quite uh, dramatically. Um, and because of our efficiencies, we came in price-wise under where the big mills were priced say if they were 395 on a chenille fabric we would be we would be 350 and some people resisted us because we weren't a, you know a supplier we were the new kid on the block but but several uh, big retailers and manufacturers really embraced us because we were the new kid and we were a disruptor and we were bringing a different value proposition to the market and they uh, they really appreciated that and then we followed that up with just excellent manufacturing and execution speed to market with new products um, four to six week delivery on production most of the big mills were you know eight ten twelve week delivery delivery for production um we were just we you know uh, the owners all worked here this was our passion and we just um we just worked harder at it and were, were more focused than the than the big multi-layered huge companies we were competing against and 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 we were able to get you know some significant market share away from them and then then china hit and we 
happened to be, you know, we were the low-cost producer. Uh, we were fast to market. We were fast with production. And we were also the right size. We were a mid-sized company. And we watched one by one as, as mills, large and small, um, went out of business, um, you know, because of the, the fabrics from Asia, primarily China, were just such an, so unbelievably cheap. It was just shocking. And, and it remains that way. Uh, till today but um, we we changed we added design talent we added yarns we added I new mean, equipment I mean you tell me all the time China was one of the best things that ever happened to us do you still oh, believe it, in that statement yeah at the time it seemed like the worst thing because we had years like 2005 2006 when I felt like we were just barely hanging on but it China forced us to be better. It forced to, us to invest in more design talent and new yarns and new, new equipment. Um, we went up in the uh, price range. We started selling mid and even high-end manufacturers. We broadened our customer base. And, um, yeah, we just were, we were too stubborn to quit. And we, we worked harder, and we, we made it through. So talk to me about kind of your vision. I'm going to kind of change topics here a little bit. Talk to me about... Talk to me about your vision uh, to kind of start Revolution Performance Fabrics. I'm just, I'll start with uh, Revolution at first. Um, I have to give kudos to, uh, to Sunbrella um, for really kind of inventing the uh, performance uh, fabric category in residential upholstery, um, which actually there was another brand of performance fabrics that predates uh, Sunbrella that most people won't remember it's called Herculon and it was made by the Amico Corporation made the yarn and various mills wove the fabric and those were the first polyolefin fabrics the problem was the 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 yarns were coarse and, and greasy kind of like the old polyester you know leisure suits but with innovations in in the yarns uh, with polypropylene um, I just saw that we could make be aesthetically beautiful fabrics that just have this inherent uh, performance uh, to them that uh, that don't need um, polyfluorinated chemical treatments to uh, achieve uh, stain resistance. They're basically uh, polypropylene is basically un unstainable just by its very nature. It doesn't have what's called dicytes. But anyway, I, I saw the. At at the various furniture shows, I saw the inroads that Sunbrella was making with their outdoor fabrics, bringing them indoors by selling the performance story. Also, I have to give kudos to to Krypton. They uh, they also have a, a similar story with using polyfluorinated chemicals to make fabrics uh, stain resistant. And I remembered what Herculon was thirty plus years ago and how how well it sold and how well it did and and i saw a real opening for a uh, a performance fabric based on polypropylene because it doesn't need uh pfas chemicals which are really so, yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna kind of go on another tangent there uh can you give me a little information and, and definitely the listener on what is a polyfluorinated chemical what are they and uh why why do you believe they shouldn't be in your home um Poly, polyfluorinated chemicals are um, 
a whole class of chemicals. There's well over a thousand of them. And what they do simply is they bond fluorine with carbon, which is incredibly strong. It's not found in nature. So these chemicals are called persistent chemicals. They are literally going to be on Earth for ever. They've spread all over the globe. They Microbes don't break them down. Even heat doesn't break these chemicals down. They're found in the Arctic. They're found in the blood of every single American. They're basically found in the blood of every single person on planet Earth. Um, they've been shown to have um, health effects. Um, when 3M pulled uh, Scotchgard from the market in uh, 2000, uh, 2000 under pressure from the EPA, um, we were applying Scotchgard in our factory at that time. We took it out of our factory and we've never run PFS, PFAS chemicals again. And by the way, that was 14 years before we had any kind of marketing agenda with Revolution. Um, this concern about PFAS chemicals is, is real. It's not it's something we believe in. It's not just a marketing ploy to pitch uh, Revolution. We welcome any brand of uh, performance fabrics that don't use fluorinated chemicals to achieve uh, stain resistance. Um, Revolution's not going to be the only performance brand. We, we, we know that, but we just don't think that these chemicals should be applied to sofas and carpets because it uh, you get direct exposure to you, your family, your pets, but you're also part of this supply chain that's creating literally forever chemicals. I mean, they're found in the deepest parts of the ocean, and I just think being part of the supply chain is just for the convenience of, of, of cleaning a stain is just a really really bad idea but take take me back you know what are, what are the what are the great advantages and disadvantages or challenges with with kind of bringing the third generation into the business um, you know textiles and furniture traditionally has been a, a very although it's a big business it has uh, it's also a very small business most most people bring their their kids into the business um, and being now that I've worked with you with four years, um, I mean, I remember, I remember the beginning. It was, uh, it was a definitely a trial by fire with you, um, but also at the same time, it was, it was the greatest um, learning experience of my life. I mean, how looking back on it, like there's not very many people uh, who have the opportunity, or uh, there's also people who'd probably pay to have the opportunity to do essentially a work live study with with a ceo of a, a multinational <laughs> textile company um yeah talk talk me a little bit through um your thoughts on bringing in the next generation uh yeah i i really didn't anticipate um anderson um or his brother david who also works here um really coming in into this business even though it's extremely common both on the furniture side the retailing side and in the uh in the mills it typically a lot of these companies are, are family family companies but um i was first starting to work on the revolution marketing and um actually anderson and i were skiing and talking about the product and um, talk, started talking about marketing and websites and um, he had just graduated from Montana State and I was like wow this is really cool he knows all these things that I need to do that I, I don't 
that yeah that i don't know anything about like building websites building an online store social media i mean i i just i don't know about any of that stuff so he brought this knowledge at just the right time that i so desperately needed and it just it worked out it worked out great i was just really i don't know anything about textiles right so (laughs) yeah and that's that it's funny because now we deal with a lot of online companies and startups and and typically uh, they know a lot about you know online marketing and SEO and all this kind of stuff but they don't know about furniture or they don't know about textiles or it's old guys like me that know about furniture and textiles but they don't know about social media and influencers and online marketing so the the combination of what I know and what you know is is fantastic I mean it, w- it was different when I joined the business at 24 25 everybody assumed you didn't know anything because you you, you didn't <laughs> you know you just you learned selling textiles and all that really on the job unless you went to a design school sorry to break it i didn't really yeah. know that much either when i started but it was uh, definitely a trial by fire and uh it was definitely uh you know had to had to learn had to had to carve out um you know yeah, bring, value, I mean, bring, bring value to the business yeah i mean there's there's just real world lessons that no no school can teach you mm-hmm. and you know typically those are the things you need to know the most do you do you have any lessons for anyone you know kind of starting their own design business textile business you know looking back on the real hardships of of sweating it through in yeah the beginning? De- definitely it, it's always going to take longer than you think to achieve your your goals definitely go into it with a with a solid business plan but know that that plan is going to change and assemble the right team of people around you get people with different skill sets you got to cover all the bases you need a catcher a pitcher a first baseman i mean you get what i'm I'm saying don't have all all pitchers you're not going to be successful Mm -hmm. um understand finance um and focus you know what what you want to do and 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 don't be distracted by things that you you shouldn't be doing that i think that's one of the biggest lessons is is you know 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 when to say no and then you know get the right people around you and and you've got to develop a team where you have where you have trust um among the members of the team and you're going to lose team members along the way and you just have to you have to deal with with that part too because that that can be really hard Thank you for listening to this episode of The Starting Designer, a podcast for your first year of interior design. Please make sure to reach out to our guests and thank them for their advice. I want to thank our sponsors, Revolution Performance Fabrics, and please make sure to follow and subscribe on your preferred podcasting channel. As always, I'm your host, Anderson Gibbons, and thank you for listening. Have a great day. Go crush your design business.